Now, if you can turn to page 264 of your Bibles, we can do our Bible reading. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing. You can put it over that side there. We'll start again. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elmanach, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the, up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi, Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered the fields and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz who was from the clan of Elamanach. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and she has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelters. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bound down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes and that you have noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with people you didn't know, did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord and the God of Israel under whose wing you have come to take refuge. May I continue in your favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servants. Though I do not have the standing, although I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, "Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar." When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, and had some left over. As she got up to up to glean, Boaz gave her gave orders to his men, "Let her take." Let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until the evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to an epath. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also bought out and gave her whatever she had left over and she had an, after she had eaten enough. 
Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. This man is a close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they have finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It would be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work with him, because in someone else's field you may be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of of Boaz to glean until the barley and the, the harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the end of the reading. Wonderful, thank you. Good morning, how are you? Good? My name's Matt. If I haven't met you before, I'll be at the back door on the way out. Come and say hi. Um, we're in the book of Ruth, which you can see, but who knows, have a look at the last line in that verse. Uh, verse 23, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Who knows that is not the end of the story? That is not a good ending to a story, is it? I'm being a little bit cheeky, but it's true. Um, but even though we're only halfway through and this isn't the end of the story, we have seen Naomi and Ruth's fortunes change for the better. Uh, there isn't a happily ever after yet. We're still with the mother-in-law. But we've seen God's kindness in Ruth's life and in Naomi's life. And what I want to do with you today is uh, see what God's kindness in real life looks like. There's this beautiful image. Have a look at verse 12. Beautiful image in verse 12 of God's kindness. And that is where Boaz says to Ruth, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is an image that's used again and again in the Bible and in the Psalms, especially Psalm 91.4. Let me read it to you. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. Isn't that a beautiful image? It's an image of, of God's kindness to us. It's an image of what uh, theologians would call God's providence. God's hand in our situation, God's protective care, God looking out for you, you'll find refuge under his wings. Uh, we looked at Na Ruth and Naomi's story last week. Let me just recap it for you and where we're at. Naomi has just returned to her people, to God's people Israel, after 10 years of being away and there have been 10 years of devastation. She's lost her husband and her sons to death. And she hears in the fields of Moab that the Lord has come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So she goes back with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, whom the book is named after. Now, Ruth is a young girl, and she's a young widow. She has also lost her husband, and she's got no children. She, like Naomi, is in grief. And with no husband and no children, she has no security and no provision, no income. 
And so she has no job. She's also a foreigner. Ruth is more than just an outsider. She's a Moabitess, we're told. Uh, in her people group, in the people of Israel, to be a Mo- Moabitess would be to be as good as a curse. That's what she's like to Naomi. And in that environment, she's as good as a curse. People would look at her and despise her and they think, you're not a part of Naomi's answer. You're a part of Naomi's problem. She's an enemy of the state. She's isolated. And most things in her world would be a threat to her life. I heard a statistic over the weekend, or I think I read it in the paper, that only 60% of non-English speaking migrants that come to Australia are matched well in a, in a job that matches them well. And I thought to myself as I read that, that's a, that's a tragedy, you know, that's not a good thing. This is a thousand times worse than that. Ruth is stricken by grief in a foreign land on the margins of society. She's alone, she's vulnerable. Her situation is fragile, it's in the balance. The cards of life that have been played to her have made her situation very unique and very difficult for her to get out of. It's the kind of situation I imagine where if we heard it, we'd say, I, I don't know whether it's going to get any better for you. I just, this is pretty desperate. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever, do you know someone who's in a situation that's fragile, where they're, they're lonely and vulnerable, where life's kind of in the balance. Have you been in a situation like that? Where you feel like nothing or nothing has or nothing is going right for you? And if only just one thing would go right, if only one piece of the puzzle would fall into place, have you ever felt like you need to take refuge under his wings? What I want to see with you today is how Naomi and Ruth find refuge under God's wings, what it looks like in reality, because I know that we need that. We need to know God's providence. We need to know what it's like for God to look after us. And we need to know what it looks like in a day-to-day sense, because it's one thing to have a beautiful image, it's another thing to see it today. So what does it look like? Well, the first thing I think we need to see that God's kindness looks like, His providence being under the shadow of His wings looks like, is the first thing is to see God's hands. We need to see God's hands. Um, can, I, can someone just move the slide on for me? Is that all right? I've got a few slides for you. Maybe I'll take that for you. Is that all right? Wonderful. Thank you. You need to see God's hands. What does it mean to take refuge under God's wings? Firstly, see God's hands. Did you notice the surprising luck of Ruth in chapter 2, verse 1? Let's go back there together. Let me read it. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone, uh, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, And began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out, in the original language, it's her chance chanced. The author is using the language of luck. 
But do you know why he's using the language of luck? It's not because he believes in luck. It's because he wants to make something very clear to us. He wants to emphasize something that we need to know about everyday life moments that feel like coincidence or that feel lucky or feel like chance. The point he wants to make is this. There is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as luck. God has plans and God provides for his plans. And often they appear to us like coincidences. They appear to us like luck. They appear like our chance is chancing. I got lucky this time. But let me tell you, it's bespoke and it's by design. God's hand is at work in your circumstances. God's hand is at work in the world. God's hand is at work in your life. Every circumstance of your life is divinely orchestrated. And sometimes we're aware of it. And that's what we need to know. That God's, in order to see God's kindness, we need to be watchful of his ways. Because God's kindness is always at work. Paul, the apostle in Colossians, says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Why does he say be watchful? Because he assumes he knows God is at work in every circumstance. Every circumstance is divinely orchestrated by God. Nothing is coincidence. That's why we need to be watchful, because God's at work. God's hands are at work. Why do we need to be thankful? Because God's hands aren't just at work. God's hands are always at work for good, even in the hard times. I think often we beg and we beg, we pray, we close our eyes, and we hope that God will hear our prayer, that he'll do something. But in reality, we don't expect it to happen. You know, and and Ruth could have stayed at home, twiddling her thumbs, thinking, I've asked for God's intervention, I won't do anything about it because it probably won't come about. So I'll sit here in my worry and my anxiousness and my fear. But Ruth is an example of someone who trusts God's hands to be at work in her situation. I love the simple, practical confidence to Ruth. She expects to find God's favor. She doesn't know who, she doesn't know when, she doesn't know where, she doesn't know how, but she trusts that God will provide. Let me ask you this morning, does your decision-making reflect the truth that God has every moment in His hands? Does your decision-making reflect the truth that God has every moment in His hands? That God is good all the time and that He, has, that he is at work in your life? Are you secure enough in Him and in His fine-tuning of your life, of being under the shadow of His wings, that you can make decisions that are selfless. You know, you don't have to look after number one because you know God's looking after you. Can you make decisions that are honourable and godly because you know God looks out for his own? You know you can make decisions in life that are uncomfortable, that are unpleasant, that aren't easy, but you know they're best for somebody else or they're for the glory of God. You can do it because you know God's got me under his wings. Are you able to make decisions that are generous? I think Christians should be the most generous people in the world because A, we know our inheritance, but we also know, like the Apostle Paul said, 
God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Does your decision-making in life reflect the idea that God's hands are at work in the world? Sometimes it looks like a coincidence, sometimes it looks lucky, but let me tell you, it's by design. Be watchful, watch it, and you will see God's kindness. The second way I think we see God's, God's kindness um, in Ruth and Naomi's story is through humans. We need to know God's humans. Let's meet Boaz. Uh, verse 1, we're there. Boaz is the seventh person overall that we meet. Um, and he is the fourth man that we meet. The detail uh, about Boaz is given in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, firstly, he's a relative on her husband's side, on Naomi's side, uh, on Naomi's husband's side. He's from the clan of Elimelech. Those two little pieces of information tell us that Boaz is in a position to be able to help Naomi and Ruth's family in a very big way. That's what those pieces of information tell us. And it becomes clearer in verse 20, where we're told that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. That is a legal term for someone who's obligated to redeem a relative in a serious situation. He's someone, he's in a position of someone who can actually save this family, who can right all the wrongs. But we need more than somebody who's in, in the right position. We need somebody who will do the job. And that's why we're given this line that he's a man of standing. That means he's the kind of bloke who can be guaranteed on to get the job done. That's what Boaz is. And in the language of the Bible, Boaz is someone who's strong in God's law. Or he's, he's not just a hearer and a lover of God, but he's someone whose faith is expressed in actions. He's a doer of God's word. That's who we're meeting. That's Boaz. Have a look at how much he loves God. It's in verse 4. I find it a little bit nauseating. Um, and I didn't bring my Bible up here with me, but I know what it says. Boaz appears, he turns up, and he says, the Lord be with you. And what do the people respond to him? The Lord bless you as well. It's this lovely moment, isn't it? The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. I find it a little bit nauseating. Thank you for that Bible. I will use this. Um, but Boaz isn't just somebody who loves God and has the right words and it doesn't just talk about it on a Sunday. Boaz is a doer. He's a man of standing. His name, and remember we've been looking at names as we work our way through Ruth, his name means quick or lively. Boaz is somebody who gets things done. I just want you to notice in detail everything he does for Ruth in this passage. We'll start at verse 5. We'll skim over it together. Just notice everything he does. Firstly, he notices her. Verse 5, who is that young woman? Secondly, verse 6, he listens to her story. Thirdly, he speaks to her. He speaks to her with dignity and respect. My daughter. He tells her she's welcome. He gives her a full-time job or he allows her to be in the fields and to harvest as much as she likes. He protects her from his men, verse 9. He pays for her lunch. I like that. He honours her, saying he's heard her story and what she has done for her mother-in-law. 
He prays for her in verse 12. In verse 13, in her own words, Ruth says, you've shown me favor, you've comforted me, you've spoken kindly to me, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Verse 14, he invites her to his table. What a beautiful picture. He gives orders for her not to be embarrassed. He makes sure there's extra provision for her. He tells them not to rebuke her. And he allows her to stay until they finish harvest. He gives her not just a a full-time job with lots of opportunities. He gives her a permanent job. Here's the point that chapter 2 is making. God's grace has a human face. God's grace has a human face. We need one another in order to experience God's kindness. We need one another in order to experience God's kindness. I think we often expect, maybe when we pray, or maybe when we're hoping, that God is going to drop a piece of kindness from the sky in a gift-wrapped, neat little bow on top, you know, thing, just comes out of space or something. Or we expect him to light up a big billboard in the sky that says, everything's going to be all right. We expect fireworks, rainbows, maybe a golden shower from heaven, just to... But more often than not, God uses his people. We experience God's kindness through the kindness of one another. One commentator I was reading said, Once in a while, God advances his kingdom with a big splash on the stage of history. But more often than not, he increases his glory through the quiet, persistent, Deeds of gratitude and kindness that never make the newspaper. We need one another in order to experience God's kindness. A number of friends of mine um, in the last, I'm getting old now, like the last 20 years I've known them. You know, maybe I've known them longer. A number of friends of mine have given up on God. But in reflecting, the first thing they give up on, before they give up on Jesus and who he is, They've given up on his church, on his people. And I get it. There are many reasons we find it hard to believe that we will experience God's kindness in humans. Because we make mistakes. We're not perfect. Naomi just shared with me as she brought Leif in this morning. I'm sorry about his you know, whinging. That's my son. I'm responsible. <laughs> she shared with me, she said, this morning I hurt him. And I said, what did you do? And she said, I was trimming his nails and I clipped his little finger. You know? <laughs> Humans make mistakes. But let me make a point this morning. We're not just the worst at showing God's kindness. Because sometimes we're the worst. We're also the best at showing God's kindness. Because we're real. We're here. We're available. We've got ears. We've got things we can do for people. We're tangible. We've got skin on. We're not just the worst at showing God's kindness. We're actually the best as well. You can tell someone what you need from them and they can turn up on your front doorstep. Let me ask you, have you ever seen God do something supernatural in your life? 
if you've walked through these doors and if you've been in this room, if you've known someone for more than two minutes in this community, you've had the opportunity to. Every day, you can experience the goodness and kindness of God in his people. Let me say the flip side. Every day, you can exhibit the goodness and kindness of God, his character. You're the ones who are supposed to do it. You're the ones who are called to do it. You can exhibit the kindness of God in your actions. I love how Boaz does it in those... I just read out 16 ways, by the way, that he does it. My favorite is verse 14, where he says... Come and dip your bread in the wine vinegar. That's on the back of your, note, your notes page today, that illustration. And one point to make there is do not underestimate the power of hospitality. Do you know in offering someone a meal, you can show them the goodness, the glory, the grace, the kindness of God. In a meal. It's, it's in your opportunity today to express God's kindness to his people. God's grace has a human face. You're a part of that. I asked a friend yesterday when we caught up, I asked him, How, how's your day going? How's your Saturday? You know, how good's the Saturday? How good was the weather yesterday, right? Having a chat, he said it was great. I had a coffee in the morning with a friend and, uh, and he said, you know, there was this really great moment where this, this middle-aged woman I could kind of see her leaning into our conversation and as if she wanted to join in, so I just let her in. And it was great. And I said, oh, what did you talk about? You know, expecting there to be some great conversation that went on. And he said, oh, no, it's just banter, just five minutes of casual conversation. But he said, I loved it. He said, my friend didn't, but I loved it. He said, I loved it. Because he said, if someone is willing to talk to someone else in that kind of situation, they're probably willing to talk to anyone. In other words, they're looking for a friend. And he said, I was, I was just happy to be that person. And he explored it a little bit further and he said, you know what, I think in Sydney, Sydney is brutal for people who don't have friends. It's really hard to make friends. And I thought to myself, I would not underestimate estimate the power of those moments. The ability that they have to communicate God's kindness to other people. So God's grace has a human face. We need one another. This is why the Apostle Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God. Because God's grace has a human face. The third way that we see God's kindness in this story, and the first way we will experience God's kindness in our lives is if we know God's heart if we know God's heart. In this story today, what we're trying to see is the re reality of God's kindness, what his kindness looks like. And I imagine you could read this story and you go, oh, Matt's making these points about God and things, but maybe it is just coincidence. And maybe there's just some really nice people being really nice to one another. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 20. Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, it says, The Lord bless him. This is Naomi talking to Ruth. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative. He is one, he is one of our guardian redeemers. 
What's interesting about that middle line there, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, is that grammatically it could be about Boaz, but it could also be about God. And in fact, the translators have no idea. They're not sure. And so they just put first person pronoun in there, he. But all the commentators will say, actually, what we're seeing in Boaz's actions is God's heart. And I love this moment where there's this little like, ooh, is, are we seeing Boaz's heart? Are we seeing God's heart? Not sure, you know, it's, it's that good. It's the kind of love God has. There's this crossover, and I love that. There's this little glimmer. But what I want you to see is that in this moment, we might be a little bit unsure about whether this is God's heart coming across in Boaz. But there was a time that we can be sure of. There was a time that wasn't just a shadow or a glimmer. There was a moment in human history where God's kindness was seen in its fullness and its perfection. And there was a perfect overlap between someone's actions and us knowing whether or not, whether God is kind, whether what God's heart really is for us, where we saw directly into the heart of God. No metaphors, no images, no pictures, but the exact imprint of God's being, where we saw God's heart. See, here Boaz offered a field for food for a hungry Ruth. But we know a story where Jesus offered his own body and blood as the spiritual food for the eternally hungry. Boaz was a close family relative who was able to save a family. Jesus is our brother who was under no obligation, but put himself under obligation to redeem not just one or two families, but to redeem the entire world. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed us, not momentarily, not like one of us in our relationships, but eternally. And if God's show of kindness through Boaz worked faith in Naomi, you know how bitter Naomi was last week. Now she's excited. Now she's got hope. If God's show of kindness through Boaz worked faith in Naomi, how much more does God's grace in the crucified and risen Jesus give believers today overwhelming evidence of God's good intention for his people, of God's kindness? For Christians today, the human face of God's grace is first of all that of Jesus Christ. That's how we see God's heart in Christ's love for us. Romans 8.32, the Apostle Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You can know God's kindness in reality for your life because you've seen God's heart in Jesus Christ. To see God's kindness in our lives, we need to see his hands at work in our lives. We need to be watchful for those moments that seem lucky, that are actually bespoke. To see God's kindness in our lives, we need to be with his people. Sometimes it can be easier to go away, but 
I promise you, as hard as it often is, the more we move towards one another, the more we move towards seeing God's kindness. And we need to know God's heart, seen and expressed perfectly in his son, Jesus. We're going to stand in a moment and we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And I just want to read one verse out to you as we begin to think about God's grace to us as the band come up. It says this, The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Let's stand and sing together.